1: Paper since 1971. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarowski here, and it's bonus time on the Ben Jarowski Show as I speak. God, I can't even read my newspaper. I have so many uh, notes scrawled on it. Oh, no. I'm not even going to say what the date is. I didn't even know it was this day. I'm looking at my distinguished guest. It's the year 2021. I'm not, I'm so superstitious to quote Stevie Wonder, I'm not going to read the date. Anyway, here's a headline in my beloved Bright One, Home Delivered. Chicago grow. We're oh, sometimes with our, our headlines. Come on, sometimes. Anyway, the headline alludes to the fact that uh, population has gone up in Chicago unexpectedly. At least all the right wingers have been saying it's un- unexpected. We'll probably talk about that with my distinguished guest. As I always do, I ask my distinguished guest to introduce him or herself. So take it away, distinguished guest.
0: I'm Ramana Hussein. I'm an assistant metro editor at the Chicago Sun Times.
1: Yes, and a columnist at the Sun Times too. The views and opinions of Ramana Hussein do not necessarily reflect anybody else except for herself. Uh, she's did not repeat, did not write this headline. Chicago grow. Did you see that headline, Ramana? Have you seen the bright one yet? Have you seen your beloved? home? No, club? I haven't. Mr. I
0: haven't grabbed the front page yet, but I see it right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do, I, so- I do see it now. Now I know what you, I was like, what are you talking about? Now I know, I know what you mean. I'm just looking at it right yeah. now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Chicago's population went up. This is not the first topic of conversation we're going to have. There's something I really want to talk to uh, Ramon about. She said to me in the pre-show leaning, uh, which just the light went on. I got to give her credit. She really had a, a thought that made me think. Anyway, um, Chicago grow, Chicago, uh, so Chicago uh, it anyway it's not worth it come on sometimes. no more puns i'm gonna be i'm gonna be gone for a week of vacation and that week no more puns okay uh ramana you said something to me today when we were chatting on the phone and i said hold that thought till we get on the air because it was i just thought it was really on target and we were talking COVID. we're gonna get have a little COVID talk uh, out the at the outset uh two two aspects of it COVID. um is a white, uh, the, the, excuse me, uh, the resistance to vaccines is a white black thing. We'll get into that. Um, but it, it had to do with CPS mandates and the uh, Chicago public schools is mandating that children wear masks, uh, and school districts throughout the country are dealing with this issue, whether they should require masks and there is resistance. And when, uh, I noted that there was resistance. You had an observation, and I'm just going to give the floor to you. Take it away. uh, Talk a little bit about the observation you made regarding masks uh, and public schools.
0: Well, I'm not the only one who made the observation. I think a lot of um, parents, um, a lot of women and girls especially noted that, that there's always like dress codes in schools fine, but they tend to target um, women, I mean, target girls at schools, and they say they can't wear leggings and you can't wear spaghetti straps, uh, you know, shirts, you know, it's too distracting. We've heard that. And then we've also seen uh, a lot of discrimination against um, African American children, you know, particularly little girls, if they have their hair in a certain way, you know, they're told that they can't wear that. So it's interesting that there's less resistance about these dress codes than it is to wear masks where it's actually protecting people's health, including the parents or anybody else who's objecting to the actual mask mandate. So um, it's, 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 and it's not me. I mean, I don't get credit for that. I think a lot of people have been noticing that. And there's a lot of other rules that are in school and place that don't make sense. And people are still questioning. Um, in terms of vaccination, uh, when you go to school, I'm sure you knew this with your daughters, you have to have proof vaccination uh, that, you know, your children have gotten these vaccines before they start school in a lot of school districts. So what's the difference between that, you know, and for anybody who's over 12 for the COVID vaccine and for wearing masks for that point, this is like has to do with like the health of the larger entire community or the entire world. i read somewhere that said that if the entire world is not vaccinated it just throws everything off. So we can't even get our, you know, shit together here in the United States. We're supposed to be a world leader and we have to, you know, I just find it appalling that we have to bribe Americans to get the vaccine. It's like, Oh, do you want it? You want some pot? You want some beer? You want some pizza? You want money? It's like, we have we're. I mean, I'm sorry, but we're just such a selfish nation where it's like, what does, why does everything have to do with what, what do I get out of this? Like, I'll get the shot. There's like people in many countries, you know, you know, countries that aren't as, you know, advanced, I guess, like, you know, scientifically or don't have the vaccines. I shouldn't say advanced, but they don't have the vaccines and they're dying to get the vaccines. They're literally dying to get the vaccines. And we, here we are. And I hate to say it. We're just like so selfish and entitled. It's like everything has to be about what we're getting out of it. It's like, no, I'm not going to get the vaccine unless I get a donut. it's just, I don't know. It's just really, it's, I don't know. It just makes me annoyed. It just makes me annoyed at, you know, we're just like, it's like every single stereotype, you know, we're just like overindulgent and it's like, we can't do anything unless we get rewarded for something. It's like, wow. It's like, there's people like all over the world dying for the vaccine. I think I was reading the other day that Iran only, it's like only 4% of the population is vaccinated in India You know, a country where my parents are from. You know, the vaccine hit. You know, COVID hit very, very hard. Um, You know, they have the same type of um, leader that we had in President Trump in India, and uh, a lot of people died. I mean, everybody I know that has relatives overseas in India has relatives who have died. They're they're dying. They're like literally dying to get the vaccine. My relatives aren't vaccinated. And they want to get vaccinated. And they were, you know, they're talking about how, you know, they don't have, you know, in a lot of smaller villages, they don't have um, refrigeration. So how can they keep the vaccine cold to get people to get the shot? So it's like, we're so privileged, yet we, you know, there's, we just don't want to get the shot. It's like, it's my right. It's my body. And I don't know. I just find it appalling. And I have no problem saying that you need to be vaccinated, to, you know, when you go indoors and you need to show proof of vaccination. And I think as we have this Delta variant and this delta variant, in fact, it's probably affecting mostly people who don't want to get vaccinated and don't want to wear masks. I mean, we can still get COVID, even though we have the shots or are vaccinated. But the point is, it, we still don't know that much about it, So just doing anything and yeah, of course, I think it's OK to have questions about it, but, you know, the, the vaccine, but you have scientists telling you that this is what you need to do, wear a mask, get vaccinated to curb this thing yet people still don't want to do it I, I i trust the scientists over people blogging you know it's like people typing on the internet you know just anything that they want to say so i don't know i just find this all so ridiculous
1: that was a great riff now let's go back to the start of the riff or we'll break it out because uh, there was many points that you raised uh but, but the the part about Americans being entitled is so freaking true. The things we take stands on. Oh my God. When you were going on that riff, I'm like, I'm taking this stand. (laughs) Meanwhile, you're going to ignore everything else that's going on in our country worth of taking a stand. You know what I'm saying? This is where I'm drawing the line. You're going to make me do something that's good for me. Nope. Um, But all right, let's go back to um, the notion of mandates in schools. And one of the things that uh, having uh, a a talk show forces me to do is just uh, examine my own beliefs and the inconsistencies of my own beliefs. And they become if you're required to have an opinion or opine about every single issue, every single day and think about it. Uh, and come up with something that's consistent with what you said the day before, one of the first things you'll realize, Ramana, is that there's tremendous inconsistencies. I'm speaking for myself, but the same thing can be said for, I think, everybody in the world. Like if you think, but it's an exercise if you have to do it every day. And so I've gotten, I think, stronger at seeing inconsistencies because I see them in myself. So incredible inconsistency that you pointed out and okay, you don't want to give credit for, I'm giving you the credit because you're the first person that said it to me. Um, but the, um, the inconsistency from people who declare a Liberty, a sacred Liberty, not to have anyone tell them they have to wear a mask, but at the same time, turn around and say they have the right to tell you how to wear your hair. How what T-shirts you can wear, what things can be on your T-shirt. And moreover, they declare that there's a greater public purpose at stake. You know, like if this kid wears her hair this way, then all standards are gone. And the next thing you know, she'll be doing this, that, or the other thing. If I allow you to wear this message on your T-shirt, then the next thing you know, someone else will want to wear that message on the T-shirt. So no messages on the T-shirt. We're making this mandate. And yet, Somehow or other, they draw. <laughs> no mask falls out of that. That's a sacred liberty. I'm like, what makes not wearing a mask a sacred? Liberty? And there's so much embedded, so much inconsistency embedded in that, Ramana. And I'm trying to think. Like, help me with this one. What? Why is there resistance on the part of Americans? To wearing a mask, it's I I need help with this one, Ramana, because I don't feel that same compulsion against it. Um, help me out. A lot of times, I like have a pimple. I want to wear a mask; it'll hide the pimple. So you know what I'm saying? I I don't get it. The help me with this one, Ramana. Go ahead.
0: Oh, I'll help you with it. I mean, in terms of we were talking about um, the people who don't want the vaccine and the, don't want the mask, um, do you think there's a consistent um, consistency with certain groups that, I, you know, anecdotally, what I can say, I'm not going to take, you know, I'm not going to say this is set in stone, but with um, white America, at least we can talk about Gentiles. It's, I have to blame, you know, Trumpism, right? It's like, you know, science facts, anything that, you know, the Democrats are pushing for, they have to say the complete opposite. And then they start using terms that, you know, the left uses, um, like, you know, my body, my choice, these are my rights, civil liberties. Um, but they're okay with stripping civil liberties of other groups. Um, they're okay with that. But when it comes to mass, that's their civil liberties. And so, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about this anecdotally, um, I do know some African-Americans or, you know, not everybody. I mean, I know a lot of African-Americans who've gotten vaccinated, but I understand the hesitancy with the African-American community because of our past and the racism. But there's still, you know, and even, you know, and there's there's a lot of people going into these groups, trying um, going into these communities, I should say, and trying to educate or, you know, at least I don't want to say educate. Because they know what's going on, but at least tell them you know why the vaccine is good, and you know there's all these different um, campaigns happening in you know black and brown communities, but a lot of African Americans are resistant because of that specific you know part in history where African Americans were used as guinea pigs. So I, I was telling you before this, I feel like the vaccine hesitancy is a lot we're seeing in the African American community. I know there's some resistance in the Latino community. But I kind of think it, it's like I've seen it anecdotally in the black and white communities. And we were joking before this, Ben. We said the Asians and the Jewish people are getting vaccinated. And, and, and it, I don't know. I, it is true. I mean, my people were trying to steal. I mean, there were groups of my people trying to steal the vaccines before. And I'm not saying that's a good thing, but I just I just think there needs to be more done in terms of, you know, telling people why this is good. And we're seeing so many stories. I saw a story the other day where there was someone who was a anti-vaxxer and then he was on his deathbed and said, I wish I had gotten the vaccine. So we see these stories like day in and day out. Am I saying that the vaccine, like we don't know that much about the vaccine. Yeah, it was pushed through really quick, but I talked to all the scientists, you know, science, you know, my friends who are in the science related fields and people who are in the medical field. And they always say that, the benefits outweigh the risks in this instance. So, you know, when they're talking about the vaccine, they're like, get it. You know, even for people who had, you know, hesitancy, they're just like, it's a lot better getting it than not getting it. And I understand the hesitation for a lot of people, but, you know, my right, I don't want to get it. It, It's it's like, at some point, it's like, it's one thing if it only affected you, but it's going to affect everybody in this country, not just you. This is something that affects everybody. And like I said, I read somewhere that said that it can't be something that only one country is doing. Our world has shrunk so much. We do so much traveling. There's so much connection that we have between everybody throughout the world. So it's like if there's just some people not getting vaccinated, that could affect everything. So we just got to get with the program. I just think people need to really start reading about this and just get vaccinated. That's my, I mean, I have no problems expressing that opinion that you just need to get vaccinated. It protects you, it protects your loved ones, and it protects the larger community.
1: Well, uh, I'm with you. And uh, I, I I don't know, it would take a social scientist or a comedian uh, or a combination of both to break out the various, most generalized, I'm just saying generalized, attitudes of course. that yeah. each... A uh, race, racial group, ethnic group, religious group has toward the vaccine, uh, and making observations that are either uh, funny or uh, really on target, or both. Um, and I've been told this is another inconsistency. I've been told by many of the guests uh, who come on my show, particularly the younger guests, they love to tell me this that I should stop shaming people. And so generally, about the vaccine. Well, no, we'll get to that. <laughs> in general, in general, I should stop shaming Oh, yeah, people. oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, for instance, whenever there's a municipal election in Chicago and the good people of the city choose to vote for some horrific mayor uh, and I just shake my head in disbelief, I am instinctively told, don't shame the people. And a lot of my dear lefty friends, when I shook my head in disbelief at, uh, like, uh, working-class white people or poor white people in Michigan or Wisconsin who voted for Trump even though uh, he was going to uh, put in programs that would hurt them. They go, don't shame them. Stop shaming them. You're shaming people. Shaming doesn't work. But then (laughs) (laughs) the same people, everybody then goes and shames other people. So now, like, for instance, I've been saying this over and over again. uh, D.L. Hewley. The great comedian, big proponent of masks, always putting videos on his Instagram feed, uh, making fun of people who are against masks. His listeners, his diehard fans, many of them will write in to say, stop shaming this MAGA couple for. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, wait a minute. You would be (laughs) you would be shaming them if it was like they were extolling the virtues of Trump. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you're allowed to shame, but sometimes you're not allowed to shame. And Everybody's got their shaming thing going on here. And I really don't yeah. know. Like, am I supposed not to shame people who are not taking the vaccine? Because what? That makes me seem look like I'm superior to them because I'm doing something that 99% of doctors say to do? Help me th- with this, Ramona.
0: Um, I'm, I'm a generation Xer, so I'm not a millennial. I'm okay with shaming. I know um, I'm okay with shaming Trump supporters. I, and yeah, I just feel like you, sh- I don't know. I, I think the society has shamed so many other people. Well, why? Just because they're your cousin in Iowa, we can't shame them because you love them. I mean, give me a break. I, I think it's okay to shame certain people. Um, yeah, I know a lot of, um, younger, you know, the millennials have taught us that we don't have to body shame people. I understand that there are certain things, but when you hear about people not voting, yeah, they have their reasons, but I do shame people. If I hear that they didn't vote, I I do. I do that in my personal life. I've done it. Uh, Most people I know do vote, but yeah, I've shamed people before. I'm okay with that. I I do shame people when it affects them and affects larger society about things, actions that they do and don't do. I think it's okay to shame people into getting the vaccine because that helps us as a society. So it's okay. I think you can shame away and tell people, you know, you don't have to be mean about it, but just say, hey, you know, you should get the shot. I have a friend who works at the University of Chicago and uh, she's in the administration and there was a woman who works for her and she's, you know, she's the same age as her early fifties and she said she's very nice, but she just refused to get the vaccine And she said she she was just kind of on her all the time, just said, you know, you need to get the vaccine. It's really important that you get the vaccine. And, you know, months after my friend got her vaccine, she said, look, look at me. I'm okay. Nothing's happened to me. I haven't had any reactions. You know, we don't, of course, like I said, we don't know what's going to happen in a year or two. But she's like, look at me right now. And she was able to convince her. So she didn't shame her. I'm not saying you have to like be mean to that person, but you should kind of give them Facts as to why it's good for them, but yeah. But some yeah. people don't want to listen to facts. I know. But I'm I'm okay with shaming sometimes. Ben, I'm okay with it. I'm not a millenni uh, well, I'm sh- not a millennial, so I'm, I'm okay not with a
1: millennial. It. It's like a millennial. Thing. You're, you're, oh my god,
0: you're a, you're a boomer, so you can shame away too.
1: Uh, well, I got I shame uh, all the time. It's instinctive, and uh, particularly shame my beloved Chicagoans uh, for the dumb things you do. And uh, I'm always getting chastised. I still, I'm shaming the city for re-electing Rahm in 2015. Probably it's most disgraceful. No, re-electing Daley in 2007. That That's a column right there. Which is more embarrassing to the citizenry of Chicago? Overwhelmingly re- re-electing Richard uh, M. Daley in 2007 after four of the most corrupt years Chicago has ever faced, or re-electing Mayor Rahm in 2015 after he closed 50 schools in black neighborhoods with black voters providing the majority of votes for him in the wards where he closed the schools i'm not certain which is actually more disgraceful but i get in trouble whenever i shame people uh Romana. so next time i get in trouble i go Romana said it's okay all right i'm gonna say that I to throw that all right uh, <laughs> but
0: who do you shame <laughs> that's what i'm saying what do you shame people for it depends
1: uh, well in this particular case when there's evidence that your city is corrupt and the trains don't work. And uh, this mayor has been in for 15 years and he's lost his mind with power. It might be a good idea, Chicago to do something really radical and elect a new mayor. That might be something new that you would want to try. Okay. But no, not Chicago. (laughs) So I shame them for having this like bizarre reverence for like ill-tempered bullies as their mayors. I feel that's very much I eminent mean, we worth shaming people. And that's that would be Mayor Daley. And that was around the time uh Mayor Daley uh really lost his one of the, on a personal level note, my dear friend your husband Mick threatened to shoot him. So this is the man <laughs> that Chicagoans huh, I'm going to I'm going to reelect this guy, you know, he threatened to shoot a reporter. <laughs> Uh, so that's one of the, I shame Chicagoans all the time and you know, now they're shaming me back cause, uh, Ramon, I voted for Lori life with toys. Uh, all right. So, you know, what goes around comes around. All right. Let's talk about, um, let's get into a little conversation about, uh, Field of dreams change things a little bit. Uh, the white Sox played <laughs> the Yankees last night, uh, Great, great baseball game. I know you didn't watch it because you're really not a White Sox fan, but the White Sox, Timmy Anderson hit a walk-off home run. The game was played in the Field of Dreams field in Iowa, where the movie was shot back in 1989. I think it's 89, Field of Dreams with Kevin Costner. Uh, And for White Sox fans like myself, it was a glorious, glorious moment, not only just to win the game, beat the Yankees, a walk-off homer in a nationally televised game. Tim Anderson is trending. Ramon, my beloved Tim Anderson, the shortstop for the White Sox, was just just a great moment to be a White Sox fan. And I know you didn't really share it because you're a Cub fan.
0: Yeah. And I was like, and I also thought the movie Field of Dreams was a little hokey and overrated, but I know everybody gets all emotional about it. You know, and I'm not saying it was a bad movie. I understand why people like it. It's about death and memories and baseball and that's all fun. And I didn't even know, I have to tell you, I didn't even know that there was a Field of Dreams games until I saw a lot of people tweeting about it. And then, you know, I saw some promotional photos of like White Sox players in the cornfields. And and then I was like thinking to myself, I'm like, wait, there's an actual they still kept that baseball field over there. I had no idea. So I guess people play baseball there and I didn't know. But anyway, um, <laughs> so I, I was I just started laughing because I remember that quote where they say um, in the movie, the famous quote, if you. If we, you build it, they will come. It reminded me, I, I tweeted about it yesterday, because when um, our mosque, uh, I, I belong to this Muslim Community Center of Chicago, which is based in the north side of the city. But we also have a site in Morton Grove, and they want to expand in Morton Grove in the early 2000s. And of course, you know, this is in Morton Grove. There were some people who were, were opposing this expansion of the mosque. So I remember there was this one guy who kept using that quote whenever you'd come to the village meetings. I went to a couple of the village <laughs> meetings in support of the mosque. And he would say, he would stand there and be like, you know, people are like, well, it's not gonna, you know, because people always use traffic congestion and uh, parking whenever they wanna, they oppose something. And it's usually a dog whistle for racism or Islamophobia or any other, you know, phobia. And so this guy came and then he kept, he kept using the quote from Field of Dreams. He goes, if you build it, they will come. And in my tweet, I, I I said I don't think he meant old timey baseball players. So, so it was um, that's what sort of reminded me of this whole thing. So I know it has nothing to do with the game. I'm sure it was very fun to watch. Um, and a lot of people, like especially men, because I think a lot of women are tweeting about how men get so emotional over a Field of Dreams, and so a lot of women were making fun of men and how they they kind of think this movie is like the movie that makes them cry if any movie makes them cry, and so. So, yeah, I'm glad people had fun watching it. I heard the Sox won, so congratulations to you.
1: (laughs) You heard the Sox won? Timmy Anderson, walk off homer in the ninth inning. All right, I'll set the stage. So the White Sox were winning all game long, and then in the top of the ninth, the Yankees hit two, two two-run homers to take a one-run, okay, eight-to-seven lead, and the Yankees were doing it. We're from New York. We're so bad. We're so good. One out. Walk. Timmy Anderson up. Look out. Yeah. Into the cornfields, Romana. I was so excited. I was jumping up and down. And yes, men uh are <laughs> a very sentimental about a field of dreams. I'm gonna say something very controversial, but I'm gonna get it off my chest. I don't even remember the movie. And furthermore, <laughs> I... don't remember the movie, so it didn't it didn't have the impact on me. Furthermore, I'm gonna quote my beloved QT a very flawed human being. I must admit Quentin Tarantino amount smiling as I say this, because we don't actually see eye to eye in Quentin Tarantino movies, but he said something the other day, he's been doing a lot of promotion uh, for once upon a time in Hollywood. He came out with a book version of his movie, which of course I devoured as soon as it came out. Uh, And um, wherever he goes, he's, you know, he, he, he promotes it uh, obviously. And he, he had this riff. I forget where I heard him say it. Cause I've, he's been on so many shows The 1980s was a terrible decade for movies. And there's a little self-serving there because he didn't start making movies until the nineties. So, okay, I get it. But, um, he's, so we'll put that aside and note it. We'll note it. Uh, I agree with him. I, I, uh, do the right thing. Uh, is the exception in my humble opinion. Um, most of Spike Lee's movies, he was really uh, a couple Scorsese movies. But the 1980s just freaking sucked as far as I'm concerned with movies. Ramona shaking her head emphatically. Uh, and uh, so I, well, let's hear what your thoughts are about 1980. That's your that's your decade. And that's your coming of age uh, decade. So defend your decade. Go ahead, Ramona.
0: Well, I have to say that um, I kind of came of age in the 80s. I was in my teens by the late 80s. So I was really little when 19, you know, I was born in the early 70s. So 1980, I was still a little girl. Um, I wasn't even 10 yet. But, you know, I think there's a lot of bad movies in the 80s. I'll I'll give you that. There's a lot lot of terrible, terrible, terrible movies that were made in the 80s. But... Because that was the age where you know I even start becoming a teenager, there was a lot of good teen movies, and they were definitely problematic. You know the John Hughes movies all came out, and they were a lot different than the teen movies that came out in the earlier eighties where they actually treated teenagers as human beings, so at that point, I could relate to them Of course, movies weren 't perfect I mean they still aren't perfect. I mean, how many movies i mean, I grew up movies watching mostly movies with all white casts the, the The cast was never diverse and you know, that just wasn't a discussion, a point of discussion. If you went, wanted to watch a movie with a cast that had people of color, you have to go out of your way to watch it. They weren't the mainstream films. So I understand that. I understand that criticism. But there were a lot of good movies, too. I mean, I, I loved Stand By Me. Do you remember that adaptation? Yeah, oh, yeah, I the remember, short yeah. story? I that was really that. good. So that was like a really fun teen movie. Um, a lot of teen, uh, you know, I talked about the John Hughes movies, but Goonies came out. That was a real fun movie. Yeah, there were a lot of... You Remember, <laughs> Goonies was a good movie. I mean, Ferris Bueller's Day <laughs> Off, which sh- showcased Chicago. I mean, these are all movies that you can kind of watch over and over again. Um, I'm trying to remember what other movies came out. There was Heather. Oh, my God. I, also... I, I'm sorry.
1: Ferris Bueller. No. I. That's I a good movie. I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, oh, my God. No. I cannot stand okay. Ferris Bueller's Day Off.
0: I can watch that over and over again, but... Um, that came out, the Heathers, Heathers was a good movie. I don't know if you saw that. That was a darker teenage movie. Winona, it was one of Winona Ryder's first movies. So yeah, there was a lot of bad movies like Rambo came out, but you still kind of watch those because they're so cheesy. But um, yeah, there's a lot of bad movies that I've never actually really watched. I mean, everybody loved Top Gun. Gun, I never saw that movie. And I'm kind of proud of the fact that I never saw that. That kind of looks really dumb and I'm sure it didn't age very well. Um, There was this movie called Mask with Eric Stoltz and Cher. Did you ever see that one? So yes. that was a really good movie. That was one of my favorite teen movies. Like A lot of people haven't watched it, which I'm surprised because Cher, like, it was just such a good movie. Laura Dern's in it. And um, I thought that was a fun movie. So there are, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, all the movies in the 80s were bad, but I think Quentin Tarantino was wrong. And, and you know, he's not that much. He's old, a few years older than me. I bet he devoured that when he was a kid.
1: Oh, he, okay. So, uh, to, to fill out his criticism, uh, to flesh it out, I should say, he said that the problem with movies in the 80s is, and this is uh, Quentin Tarantino talking, uh, they felt compelled to be what he called politically correct. And what he meant by that is they had to resolve all the issues in the movie before the movie ended. You oh, of course. Have, yeah. And, of and course. so he's not talking about politically correct in terms of
0: Oh, of course. Uh, not they, insulting
1: they... someone. Yeah and so he was saying that that, go ahead
0: no they would do that in all movies and if you think about it the standard you know formulaic hollywood movie even to this day everything's kind of tied up in a bow by the end of the movie right everything's resolved and everybody kind of walks into the sunset not all movies i think people started taking chances of course um there were definitely formulaic in the 80s nobody's Nobody's arguing about that. I mean, even to this day, I think the average moviegoer watches the formulaic film. I mean, all these like superhero movies, they all kind of are resolved at the end, aren't they? I'm not like a huge uh, Marvel, you know, fan, but I feel like they get kind of resolved at the end. Don't they? They get, You know, questions get answered. Everybody's happy. You know, you know, the couples, like, you know, whoever was supposed to get together, gets together and they walk out into the sunset and you assume their life is like perfect afterwards. So, it's still kind of part of the Hollywood process. And let's face it, Hollywood isn't perfect right now. There's problems with films all the time. I'm, I'm, you know, both of us are kind of like nitpicky when it comes to films and we dissect a lot of films. So there's always things that can improve. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, like I said, I, I was at that age in the 80s. So those movies are always going to stick with me. I'm sure movies for you, for when you were a teenager, are still kind of like some of your favorites.
1: Oh my goodness. The 70s? You know me. Yeah. I live I, I'm still like lost in the 70s. I got issues. The music, the <laughs> movies. Uh, yeah. So
0: Did Bad News Bears come out in the 70s?
1: Yes. I'm pretty okay, sure. Okay, so that with So like I remember Mattel. and I
0: Yeah, so I remember that movie as a little kid and I remember thinking I remember as a little girl thinking that was racist because they had Jewish slurs, they had slurs against black people. And so I, I remember I was telling my husband, Mick, that I was offended as a little kid by the movie. I knew there was things wrong with the movie back then, but that was the 70s. But 70s had been. Let me look and too. see.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm uh, bad news bears. Yeah, because, right the, now.
0: because that was the whole 1976.
1: thing. 1976.
0: Yeah, the team had a Jewish kid and they had a black kid. And yep. that was supposed to be um, bad for the team. I remember that.
1: Well, they weren't very good. Uh,
0: no, I know, but that they, they there was this, and then they had a woman, they had a little girl, so girl. that was the whole thing. They t- yeah. this one one kid spoke out and said, "We have this and this, and what kind of team yes. do we have?" Like he was, and I remember being like, "What? What does that word mean?" Because I didn't know what that meant. And then I remember, like as a kid, you know, being Muslim, like we were all watching it at like a kid's birthday party, and the kid was supposed to be a black Muslim, so he hit the ball and he hit it. He hit a home runner. he hit it really hard, and he goes, "This is for Allah." And so we're like, whoa, did he just say what we think he said? we never, that was diversity for us. So we we're all excited. Yeah. I remember us being excited about that. So we're like, wow, you know, there's a Muslim it, it, it's character funny. in there.
1: Uh, I have to see if uh, Bad News Bears uh, stands the test of time. I do this uh, from time to time. I'll watch the 70s Watch movie. it.
0: Watch it. It won't. Yeah,
1: and it won't. It won't stand the test of time. I haven't seen it since the 70s. Uh, but uh, there's a scene in uh, Crooklyn, which is one of my favorite movies of all time, and that's a Spike Lee movie where it's autobiographical, so Spike Lee... I love that
0: movie.
1: Yeah, it's just a great movie, and anyway, I could talk on and on about it, but uh, there's a scene where Spike Lee, the Spike Lee character and his brothers and sisters are watching the Partridge family, and it's kind of what you were getting at. Like Here's the black kids in Brooklyn in the, the 70s watching this white show, and that's what mainstream TV was and you're going to watch it or, you know what I mean? That's all, that's all there is. You don't have much of a choice. Uh, and, uh, but they're exactly. getting into it. They're singing the song. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great, you remember, remember that it's scene? Like my where they family start putting, watching
0: the Brady Bunch. We, yeah, yes. yeah. We watched, we, my family watched the Partridge family too. We watched Brady Bunch and Partridge family. I mean, you don't want to be totally out of it. So you watch these shows. And, you know, my parents are like, what is this? Like, they didn't know, you know, and I, the Brady, I mean, the Parker's family, I remember I was just kind of confused about the whole dynamics of who the family (laughs) was, but, but no, we love the Brady Bunch. I still can watch that. It's so hokey, but I can still watch it today. It
1: is very hokey. And again, I, um, but, uh, yeah, I watch these same shows too. And it is, uh, I urge everybody to check out Crooklyn. Great flick. Uh, all right, uh, I can't. You said something in the pre-show. We were talking about uh, Quentin, Quentin Tarantino. He was on the Bill Maher show, and uh, you know, I, Bill Maher said he's always looking for some way. Uh, he's got this thing, Romana. You know, we all have our things, okay? So I just, I just released mine about uh, talking about Chicagoans and the stupid choices they've made for mayor. His thing is he's got this like he's taken the notion of wokeness like this attitude that wokeness is this corrosive disease and he's inflated it and so he just really enjoys luxuriating uh in feeling good about denouncing wokeness which is i'm not, again if i had a list all the things wrong with america and the world right now you know what i'm saying <laughs> wokeness i, I could it make the top 50? I mean, no. you know, so I mean, just, what's with Bill I Maher think, and Woke This? Help me out.
0: I think Bill Maher for the last couple of years, I just, I started off watching him like in the 90s when he had that show. Um, what was it called? Was it called? Um, Politically
1: Incorrect.
0: Politically Incorrect. Called, right. But it wasn't yeah. it called something. I don't know. But he had a show that was on Comedy Central and I always thought he was kind of funny and And then after a few years, then he just started, you know, he just veered off and, you know, very sexist, racist, definitely Islamophobic. And he would just, he would just kind of like needle people, like if they didn't like think like him. And um, I mean, I don't know, I don't, I can't watch him anymore. I just find him really annoying. He just, he just comes off as like a disgruntled old white man. Now, you know, he's just mad because he's being questioned. And, you know, before he wasn't, he was on top of the world and people are questioning some of the things he says. So, yeah, I think he has issues with wokeness. I think he's one of those people that thinks that freedom of speech is being um, questioned with wokeness, and that's not really the case. I mean, yeah, there's probably some people who are like, you know, use wokeness to an extreme, but in general, wokeness is a good thing. So I, think, I, I just think that he feels like the fact that he's being questioned you know, and he's I guess he's always been questioned, but now the you know, people on the left are questioning him. So he kinda just feels attacked and so I don't know. I kind of feel he, he kinda lost me a few years ago, maybe ten ten years ago. He's just like very annoying. I know I, I know a lot of women can't stand him. He's really sexist about his comments well, about to, to the point. About what women look like and like, you know, and it's like look at yourself, look in the mirror. You know what I mean? He'll say make comments and it's just, like, he's gotten too much. He's gotten, like, I just feel like he's, he's the epitome of, like, white male privilege. That's what I think he well,
1: is. His comment, though, was, uh, it was like, tailor-made for one of our conversations. He had Quentin Tarantino on, uh, and he was ex- expressing his admiration for Tarantino. And yeah. his, the reason for his admiration in this particular clip, in this particular exchange that I saw, was that Tarantino uh, fought back when people criticized him for yeah. uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and he said, "For instance, this is Maher talking. For instance, uh, it, when people," and he starts rolling his eyes to show that he has utter disdain for this attitude that comes out when people yeah. uh, counted up the number of lines that, lines that Margot Robbie had in the movie, as if that's criticism. Yeah. That's ridiculous. That's absurd. I go, wait a minute, you're talking about Ramona Hussein, who's come on my show. Uh, so, yeah, kind of offensive for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh but it was yeah, just, I, I don't, don't know, I I, just know the just,
0: thing is a lot of a lot of men don't get it like i'll watch a movie with a man and they don't get it like when a female character just sitting there and all they do is just look at their boyfriend or husband and just shake their heads they don't say anything and it's like they have no opinion and all they do is just sit there and like you know prance around and it's like it's offensive it's like women don't talk women don't do anything. They just like do whatever their husbands and boyfriends tell them to do. And they're just kind of there for the like man's pleasure. It's offensive. And so like, yeah, when characters aren't fleshed out, it is offensive. And yeah, I know there was like that question with the um, Scorsese movie where the female characters that the latest one he did where everybody was like a hundred years old and there was, there was commentary about the women not talking, but some of the, some, some women were kind of fighting back on that one saying that, well, I think a lot in what wasn't said and the way these women look, cause they're such good actors, it kind of conveyed a lot, but once upon a time in Hollywood, I'm not saying Sharon Tate wasn't this pleasant woman, but all they did was show her. And, you know, she just watches herself on film and just kind of prances around and doesn't say anything. And then, you know, it's like those girls <laughs> around the compound were like total airheads. And it's just like, come on. And, you know, it's like he, his foot fetish is like in, you know, featured and it's just like oh my god and i guess yeah it's it's a man making a movie it's from the male gaze but we're talking about films made in the 80s they were from the white gaze so yeah women are going to be annoyed when a film is just made for like you know a white male guy you know it's like a white male you know so i don't know it's things need, this is why you need representation so i know a lot of people don't get it but this is why representation is important
1: uh, all right, so perfect time to transition to the closing bit. We always do, Ramona's recommendation, and uh, we're talking movies. And uh, you pointed out at uh, when I was talking to you earlier, you spent the last two weeks watching the Olympics, so you've fallen behind a little bit on your uh, binging, your TV watching, your movie watching, etc. and so forth. Uh, I'm with you. I was watching a lot of Olympics too. But I did take a time to see, and I really hope you watch this because I know you're a Beatles fan, uh, the Hulu uh, six part series about Paul, or Paul McCartney and Rick Rubin get into a studio and they break down and analyze Beatles songs. This is not uh, folks. I'm putting an asterisk on this recommendation. You have to love the Beatles to watch this thing. If you don't, if you don't even, if you, if you only like them, don't watch it. If you, if you love the Beatles, this is must Because they analyze, they break down the songs, Ramona. They uh, they take different tracks so you can hear the drums independently of all the other instruments, or the bass independently, other or the uh, like the background singers. And Paul McCartney talks about the writing process and his relationship with John and George. And it was I found as an old Beatle fan, and I told you this before. I've lost interest in most of the rock stars of the sixties and the seventies. As time goes on, they do not stand the test of time, in my humble opinion. And I know your, my beloved friend, Mick your husband, disagrees vehemently with me on this one. But I just—they don't stand the test of time. The Beatles, in my opinion, are the exception. Every year, I like the Beatles more and more than I liked them before. I don't know what that's all about. I can't stand to say, say the same thing about the Rolling Stones or Led Zeppelin or the Kinks or any of these groups I used to love. But the Beatles—they just. It was only, and they were only really at the height of their uh, creativity, Romana, for seven years. It was really only seven years yep. that they were doing it. So mm-hmm. I urge you to watch this movie because I know you're a Beatles fan and you are going to love this movie.
0: Oh, I'm a huge Beatles fan. I mean, I always tell people if I had to pick one band that I like the best, I know it's not the cool thing to say. Everybody thinks everybody who thinks they're cool says the Rolling Stones, but. We went over to the Rolling Stones versus the Beatles. I'm like, no way. The Beatles are, there would be no Rolling Stones without the Beatles. And I have to tell you, you, know, my parents being immigrants from India, my mom is a boomer, but, you know, she had no idea who the Beatles were. Me and my older sister, we accidentally discovered the Beatles because there used to be this cartoon on the UHF channel, on channel 44. This is in the 70s. And it was a Beatles cartoon. And, and so we just loved the Beatles. And we were so shocked to learn that they were our parent, my dad's age and uh, that they broke up. We're like, they broke up. (laughs) And so, but um, one of the first albums I bought, I thought I bought was a Beatles album, but it was actually the Bee Gees singing the Beatles. But when I was 17, I had my dad, um, we went to London for the first time when we went to India that summer. And I had my dad when I was 17, buy the original um, albums that uh, the Beatles put out in London. So they are the actual releases in London that were released in London. And when I had to interview Ringo Starr a couple of years back, maybe 15 years ago for work, I took the first album that the Beatles had in, you know, printed in England and I had Ringo Starr sign that album. So I was pretty excited about that. I know, I know it, a, when I took the album, I thought it would be a little unprofessional, but I kind of held it to the side and there was a PR woman. And then I saw there was other four or five other reporters who brought Beatles things to, to get signed. So she's like, yeah, I'll have Ringo, Ringo sign them. But I saved the tape that I have. Um, it's a little audio cassette of me, intervi- you know, talking and, you know, I asked Ringo a couple questions. So I'm a huge Beatles fan. I went to Liverpool too. I did like, I went to England one summer and I did the whole like Beatles tour in Liverpool and I went to all the sites like Penny Lane, Strawberry Fields, uh, saw all the Beatles childhood homes. So I, I think it's safe to say I'm a fan. I, I know, I always, I always like, you know, I know a lot of younger kids, you know, make fun of that, but I, I do like the Beatles. And I think it's one of those things where it's like, you can listen to their music all the time and not get tired of it. And, you know, there's, I I, I don't know it's I, there's some other bands where you get, you hear that song and you're like, Oh my God, I heard this song like 50 times. I don't want to hear it anymore, even though I like it. But with the Beatles, it's like, I can listen to some songs over and over again. And, I, yeah, that's definitely on my list. I have to tell you that was on my list before the Olympics started. The uh, documentary uh, I heard it. I hear they're long, and I heard they're really good. And a lot of people don't realize is that even a lot of Lennon McCartney songs, Paul McCartney wrote those songs. Um, my brother took the famous Beatles class at Northwestern when he was there, and he was telling me that the professor said that. I think Paul doesn't get as much as credit as as he should because he actually is a big part of the beatles i mean i like all of them I, i'm a fan of all of the beatles even ringo i know who gets a short shrift but <laughs> i just think i just think together i just think it's magical that they are all from this one little neighborhood yeah. and they all were just so talented it, it's, it's so i i am looking forward to that i will definitely watch that that we'll, is we'll have a lot probably watch yeah. with me but I know you, you're watching White Lotus. The other one, two shows I want to see is Never Have I Ever, Mindy Kaling's show. It's the second season. And this show on Peacock, um, which is like about a Muslim punk band. Everybody's been telling me to watch that. It's called We Are Lady Parts. Everybody's raving about that. But yeah, I'm behind. I, I have to do major catch up. I did watch Ozark. I have to tell you, I did binge on that this, this last few weeks that we haven't been talking. So I, I would recommend that. It's a good, it's a good, um, it, it was a pretty good show, I thought. Not as good as Breaking Bad, but good. All
1: right. Well, uh, when you've dutifully watched uh, the Paul McCartney uh, show, we, we can maybe do a deep dive with Mick. and The three of us can uh, uh, talk about our love for the Beatles. Uh, and it's really worth watching. And, and to your point, uh, I think, I, I believe that John Lennon was deeper than Paul McCartney. For but sure. Paul McCartney had a great work ethic. And I think... Paul McCartney was the one who motivated. Like in the movie, he talks about going to John's house for a writing session and John wasn't even up yet. So he'd be sitting by the swimming pool in the back already jotting notes. I think Paul McCartney was ready to go uh, in a way that John Lennon wasn't. But once you got John Lennon's brain focused on something, that's oh, yeah. what brought the greatness out. And so uh, they worked very well together. Uh, I will just, one thing about White Lotus, I will tell you uh, it is white people <laughs> looking bad so run don't walk to watch it it is (laughs) awesome i love
0: that i love that
1: uh yeah you'll love that
0: (laughs) i should tell (laughs) i should i know i was gonna say you always uh hit topics where i end up making fun of white people so i apologize i don't hate white people completely all the time (laughs) but um i was gonna tell you one of the uh i you know I, i was talking about being a beatles fan as a little girl You know, when I started reading newspapers and news articles was when John Lennon was shot. That's that's when I started like picking up my dad's time magazine and Newsweek and I would read the articles I'd voraciously read. So I always tell people, I'm like, that's when I really started reading the news, when John Lennon was shot and I started paying attention to the news. So that's how the Beatles were. That's how much the Beatles to me.
1: Yeah, no, uh, Paul McCartney has a line in the movie uh and he's reflecting about john lennon his partnership he goes i was just i'm not gonna do my paul imitation but yeah. i was just working with a <laughs> bloke named john and now here it is all these years later and i realize i was working with john lennon and uh it's interesting paul mccartney talks about going back and listening to the music and appreciating the beatles in a way as like he was you or me just listening to a band that he didn't create he was just listening and um uh, I love that line. By the way, there's this whole section about the Beatles going to India. I'm not going to give it away. I'll say. Oh it yeah, for I mean, we, we, there's.
0: <laughs> I'll laugh at that, but there is a whole. Um, there's going to be a movie on that too, so which I'll enjoy. I did think they were sincere, but that guy, I was going to say that guru was the typical guru where he was just kind of using them for his own you advantages.
1: Will love the. I'm just not going to say I'll a word. i love the for... Indian
0: part. Well, "Sexy Sadie" is about the Maharishi.
1: Yes. And that. Dear Prudence so. is about me. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to say another yeah. word. We're going to we save can, it for can, our... Yeah, we can but, talk about... Ben,
0: we can have a show on the Beatles. I could talk about them all the time.
1: So. Well, we'll do it. And then there's the second Peter Beatles movie, which is coming out, which you I know you are going to watch. It's uh, Peter Jackson. Uh, yeah. The d- great director. Has assembled uh, all the footage from the Let It Be session. Hours and hours of footage. And it's Uh, I forget when it's going to drop, but I'm really excited about that. As I said, Ramana, years go by. I love the Beatles more and more. Um, All right, we're out of time, Ramana. Thank you so much. I'm going to be off next week, so I guess I'll I'll talk to you in two weeks. So stay stay safe, stay sound, and we'll talk to you soon, all right? Thanks. All right, that's a great Ramana Hussein. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.